0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California.
1: Good morning. Have you ever been in a predicament that can get out of? So we're going to talk about today as we look at the life of Joseph And we're going to end our Genesis series today. You know, our nation was birthed out of predicament. As we celebrated the 4th of July, our nation, it was a hard battle to win. Well, it's the same with uh, Israel. God was birthing a nation and had to do incredible miracles to make that happen. The Declaration of Independence states a lot of things about a divine authority. In fact, it starts out, says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So our founding fathers in birthing our nation mentioned the creator, and he is the one that gives us liberty, and he is the one that gives us Rights. And whenever we put our hope in other entities other than the Lord, we will be sadly disappointed. Besides that, in our nation, there's systems, you know, there's branches of government that are definitely inspired by the word of God. For instance, the judicial system is copied similarly to the law of Moses. And someone is presumed innocent unless... Proven guilty by a jury of their peers, which is exactly how Israel operated with two or three witnesses. Then we have the legislative branch, which is actually copied from the Presbyterian church model that John Calvin founded because they used elders in their authority structure to represent the people. And so that is definitely influenced our government system. And the executive branch consists of a president who acts as a commander-in-chief, just like Moses or Joshua or David and other leaders of Israel. I want you to know that because God's word is all over our founding documents. The founders, we don't know where they were as far as being born again and saved, but we do know that many of them (laughs) believed in God as their creator So as we talk of a nation, what is a nation? Well, in dictionary.com, it says it's a large body of people united by common descent, history, culture, or language, inhabiting a particular country or territory. So we see here that a nation consists of people who are united commonly in some type of belief system, and there's land. If you don't have land, you don't have a nation. The Hebrew word for nation is goy which means people with common beliefs. When God said to Abraham, I will make you into a nation, that's the word. And so it starts off with a family, and then that family grows, and then all of a sudden you have a nation of people. The Greek word is ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnic. That means there's a body or persons united by kinship, culture, and common traditions so when we think of nation in the Bible, when we think of Israel and other nations, there were people, obviously, there was a common belief system that united them, and there was land. And there were boundaries for that land, and mostly in protection against enemies. So while we wrap up today the sermon series, I want to go back to a chart that I've used throughout. And I just want to review it, unveiling the kingdom of God which shows the progression of God's kingdom. First of all, we have to realize that God's universal kingdom existed before time began. And that's where God is. That's the eternal kingdom of God. Ephesians 1 4 says that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. So something happened before where God chose you and me as believers that we would be chosen to be the elect, the church. Israel is another entity. Then we have here, something happened. Satan fell from heaven. He was an angel that was created by God. He's a created being like us, but he decided to rebel against God. So then he started his own kingdom down here, which is a kingdom of darkness. And people who rebel against God end up following Satan. Then we have Genesis here where God created the heavens and the earth. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden And they decided to rebel against God, and they fell, which caused people to now become a part of Satan's kingdom. And there's a battle of kingdoms, dark versus light. And we've talked about all these different people, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac. So this is a lineage of God's kingdom on earth. Jacob turned the name to Israel. We didn't really talk about Moses much. And we didn't talk about David much because that's later. Moses is in Exodus and David is in Kings and Samuel. And then we end up here with Jesus, our Lord, who is from the same lineage. And then the birth of the church. And that's why Jesus, the first thing he says when he appears on this earth is the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Jesus personifies God's kingdom. We're living here right now in this little slot. Because Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father. But one day he will come back and he will take the church to be with him. And then we will come back with him for the second coming of Christ, where he will set up his kingdom on earth in Revelation 19. And we will reign with Christ for a thousand years, where Jesus hands the kingdom back over to his father. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. So his kingdom comes to a dead end. And then the new heaven and the new earth is the eternal heaven for the saints in Christ. I want you to see the picture. So we are at Israel in the last part of Genesis. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a nation. In fact, he said multitude of nations, right? What were Abraham's two sons? Ishmael and Isaac, right? Which is the one to which the covenant was given? Isaac. Isaac. But Ishmael had a kingdom. He had 12, actually 12 princes or people over his land, which has become the Arab nations. And in fact, today it's interesting that the brothers throw Joseph into a pit and guess who takes him off to Egypt? The Ishmaelites. There's still a battle going on between Ishmael and Isaac in our world today. We see this, right? So now we experience an incredible predicament. In the story of God's kingdom on earth through Israel. But the predicament was revealed to Abraham. God told Abraham about this predicament. In fact, in Genesis 15, if you remember, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants or your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Which land would that be? Egypt, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for how many years? 400 years in Genesis 15 as well. God said, then in the fourth generation, they will return here. What's here? Canaan, the promised land, Or the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So God wasn't done working in the Amorites, and it took 400 years. He gave them 400 years to repent. That's pretty patient God, right? <laughs> and then the time was complete, and then Israel would be allowed back. Into the land. So what is the predicament? The predicament is Israel ends up in Egypt. Now think about it. Jacob is following the Lord now, and he has been reminded this land belongs to you and your descendants, the promised land. So how's God going to get us back to where Jacob needs to be? Well, we're going to look at that. Jacob and his family, they live now in Canaan, in Bethel which means house of God, the main character of the story now shifts to Joseph, who is Rachel's eldest son. You remember the two sons that Rachel had? Joseph and Benjamin, okay? So the question now is, how did God move Israel to... Because he told Abraham, your seed will be strangers in the land. How did God move Israel to Egypt? God used Joseph's brothers. Now with brothers like these, who needs enemies, right? Right? We know from the story that Joseph was Jacob's, and remember Jacob and Israel, are the same person. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was the son of his old age. Remember, Rachel couldn't have kids until God opened her womb. Israel gives his son this multicolored coat. He gives him this multicolored coat because Joseph was his special, unique son. And then in Genesis 37, Joseph has a dream. Do you remember what his dream is? He has this dream that his brothers and even his father would bow down to Joseph. Now the problem was, is he decided to share that dream with his family. But later on, we're going to see it actually came true. Then what happens? The brothers, because something's wrong with them, they're like, let's put Joseph to death. Like, have you ever had a fight with your brother or sister? Have you ever thought, let's just put them to death? How bad is that? And then Reuben, who's the eldest son, talks them out of it. So instead, this happens. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. Sometimes those closest to you will hurt you. Have you ever had that happen? What do you do when that happens? Because it's painful. I mean, it's one thing to get hurt by an enemy or someone who doesn't like you. You expect that. But when it comes from your own family and then also in the church family, it's incredibly hard. I mean, if you've ever dealt with that type of division in your own family or in the church, it's sad. And it's really hard to get over those that hurt and that pain that's inflicted by family members and in our case in the church would be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's painful. Now we can learn from Joseph but I'm going to share this verse. It's not till chapter 50. So there's a lot in between here before Joseph gets to this point. So I don't want you to think, oh yeah, Joseph is so holy that all of a sudden his brothers throw him in a pit and he says this. No, it's many years later. But this is what he says. Read it with me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph was able to have perspective much later, but he was able to look back and see how God turned it around. Somebody said the approval of God in Christ is worth more than a trillion pats on the back and worth all the stabs in it too. You will be persecuted. You will be hurt. And sometimes you will be hurt by your own. And that is painful. Next, God made Joseph successful. He threw him in a pit and he got sent off to Egypt. So now we're in chapter 39. While in Egypt, Joseph becomes the overseer of Potiphar's house. Who's Potiphar? Potiphar was the right-hand man to Pharaoh. So he was like the second most important person as far as authority in Egypt. Potiphar purchased Joseph as a slave from the Ishmaelites who found him in the pit. So now we're up to Genesis 39 and it says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made everything Joseph did successful Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. So God's hand is on Joseph and the Egyptian unbeliever sees this. this. We're seeing God work even in the midst of slavery here where Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but he ends up there and God still has a plan to use Joseph in Egypt. In verse 6 of 39, it says, He, Potiphar, left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. So Joseph became very successful in Egypt. But sometimes success isn't always what it's cut out to be because sometimes you'll be falsely accused. Especially if you're in any position of authority, you will be falsely accused. You ever been falsely accused? I hear these stories of people that have been in prison falsely accused. Years later, they're released. And a lot of them say, I've forgiven them. Adrian P. Thomas is this guy. He had seven kids, and he was living in New York. In September 2008, his four-month-old son died. And the preliminary exam indicated he died from a blunt force trauma to the head. The interrogators threatened to arrest Adrian's wife if he didn't confess. So he confessed and was convicted to 25 years behind bars. And then in 2014, Adrian was exonerated due to the finding that his son, who was born premature, had died from sepsis. This is why God, and in our nation as well, in our judicial system, someone is found innocent until proven guilty. But there's also one of the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shall not give false witness, because this kind of stuff happens. You are falsely accused. And we see this all over our culture today. Someone can tweet something about somebody that's totally not true. And all of a sudden it becomes true because someone said it. You know what it's called when this happens in the church? It's called gossip. Gossip is like a forest fire. And it's hard to put out because oftentimes someone is falsely accused because the person who's gossiping never went to the source. I've had things like this happen to me in particular I'm sure you have before, too, as well, falsely accused of something while working in ministry before this church. It was another church. I was falsely accused in a letter that was sent out to the whole congregation, and not once was I asked if it was true or not. And all of a sudden, I'm having people thinking something of me that was not true. And all I remember is sitting there thinking, why does this happen? You know, and what am I supposed to do? Because my initial response was to go defend myself. And that's when I heard the Lord say, I will be your defender. But it took a year. And it was one of the most tumultuous years of my life. And I just kept wanting to get out of there. And the Lord said, like Joseph in prison, you'll be released when I'm done working in this situation. He did. And the beautiful thing was, is I had forgiven them. And later on, they all come and apologized, which... Off. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes we don't get that apology, but we have to remember that the Lord is our defender and he's the one that takes vengeance upon evil. So we have to be careful to not be gossipers and to not falsely accuse people of things. But that's what happens to Joseph. So the story goes on and Joseph is the overseer in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. So the storyline gets a little steamy. In fact, in Genesis 29.6, it says, and now Joseph, I think that's supposed to be 39.6, but Joseph was well-built and handsome. (laughs) So he was a well-built, handsome dude who's working in Potiphar's house with a wife that obviously has the hots for Joseph. You know, Billy Graham had this rule. He said, never be alone with another woman. Our vice president said this about a year ago or so. I don't have dinner with a woman that's not my wife. And he got mocked and laughed at. You know, there's wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom in having boundaries. And also, if you're by yourself with someone, you have no defense. It's always best to have someone there as a witness. It's important to understand now, Joseph didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he tries to do the right thing. In nine seven, it says, And after a while, his master's wife, so this woman who has the hots for Joseph, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Now, Joseph could have, right? I mean, after all, Potiphar trusted him, and he was obviously never home, and he trusted Joseph in all accounts. But what does Joseph do? Joseph refused. And then he goes on to say, why? With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to me. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, Joseph knew who he would be eventually sinning against. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So we can learn a lot from Joseph. He has integrity. Reputation is what people see. Integrity is who you are when you're alone. when No one's watching. Now the Bible speaks of women like... Potiphar's wife says, "Stay away from the woman who commits or it could be man, who commits adultery, don't even go near her house. Stay away. But what do you do when the woman's house is your place of employment? That's tough. I've heard people in situations like this go to extremes to get out of it before something happens. When I uh, became sober. After many years of abusing drugs and alcohol, I stayed away from those places. I stayed away from bars particularly for 20 years. And it wasn't not necessarily the drinking part, but it was all the other stuff that went on in there. I didn't want to go back to that place. If I felt like I had to walk in a bar, I'd get sick. Like, I'm not going in there. And now it's different. I mean, I can go there and see differently because I'm a different person. But I knew what I had to do for many years. I needed boundaries. So in Genesis thirty nine eleven, it says, Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were in there. So here's bad timing. Bad timing for Joseph. He just came to work. So what happens? The adulteress catches Joseph, grabs his clothes, and says, Come to bed with me. And Joseph bolts out the door. She's left holding his coat. The woman gets ticked. And she calls the man of the household and literally lies to their faces saying that Joseph tried to rape her. And here's the proof. Here's his coat. Her husband comes home, who's Joseph's boss, and she tells the same lie. And this is what she says. That Hebrew slave, so she refers to him as a a Hebrew, you brought to us, tried to humiliate me. It's a total lie. So what happens? God put Joseph in prison. And I put God there because it's God who's allowing this to happen for a reason. We try to blame everybody else. We become victims. And believe me, there's bad things that happen to us. I know that. I've had bad things happen to me. But we're not victims in Christ. We're victors in Christ. Because we know that he's got it all worked out ahead of time, in fact. So God puts Joseph in prison. In chapter 39, we read, When his master heard the story of his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burnt. Potiphar burnt with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. And here's the good news. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So even while Joseph's in prison, of no fault of his own, God is working in his life. Because prison is a great place to develop patience. Isn't it? When you're in a prison, not necessarily a physical prison, but you could be in some type of spiritual or emotional, even a physical prison as far as medical things. Don't we develop Patience because our faith grows. And I'm telling you, being falsely imprisoned is one of the worst feelings ever. Because you say, I didn't do anything wrong. But then the question becomes, is God wrong or is God sovereign? Because here's the thing. If God isn't sovereign over all things, then we're, excuse the expression, screwed. But if God is sovereign over all things, then he must have a plan. I felt falsely imprisoned, not in a prison cell, but in a prison cell of depression and the prison cell of physical pain. This was in the mid-2000s, and I've written about it, I've spoken about it, and I ended up being in the hospital. I had become addicted to some prescription medication, and I'm saying, great, I didn't do anything wrong, I just took... The medicine has the doctors said. And I kept thinking, why is this happening to me? Obviously, I can look back and say to you literally and honestly that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I would not be the person I am today if I didn't go through that trial, that imprisonment. Because prison is where your faith grows. I grew to trust God like no other time in my life. Nothing worked. No pill worked. No potion worked. The only thing that worked was the Lord. And oftentimes, it's not until Jesus is all we have that we realize Jesus is all we need. So prison is where Joseph's dreams would actually come in very handy. See, God had gifted Joseph with the ability to interpret his dreams that the Lord had put in his mind. Before, they were laughed at and mocked. But now, God's going to use it in a huge way. So in prison, Joseph has two dreams, and there are two people in prison with him. One's the cupbearer, and one's the baker, and they both served Pharaoh. And this is in Genesis 40. And the dreams had to do with the outcome of those people's lives. And the cupbearer was released to go back to work for Pharaoh. And Joseph's request to the cupbearer was, please remember me when you see Pharaoh. Remember how kind I was to you. He didn't say that, but he's basically, remember what I did. But in forty twenty three, he says, but the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Oh, what the, I mean, come on. He's in prison with him. He just helped him out. The guy's free because of what Joseph did. And he forgets about him? And after many years in prison, God elevated Joseph to ruler over Egypt. God didn't forget about him. God doesn't forget about you. So two years later, Joseph's still in prison for something he didn't do, false accusation, and Pharaoh now, Pharaoh, okay, you don't want to mess with Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh has a dream. And his dream bothered him severely, and he couldn't figure it out. And he asks his court, do any of the magicians or anybody, can they please interpret this dream? It's bothering me. And then finally, the cupbearer gets out of his senior moment, and he says, wow, there's this guy in prison with me. His name's Joseph. And he interprets dreams. So Pharaoh calls Joseph. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, which has to do with an upcoming huge major catastrophe A seven-year famine in the land. I told this to the magicians, Pharaoh says, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, okay, now check this out, how Joseph turns it around. Joseph says to Pharaoh, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Joseph is totally witnessing to the ruler of the biggest pagan nation in the world at the time, it's God who's doing this. Imagine if God had, like Esther in the Bible, why is she put in that position? To witness to the king. Why are we often put in certain positions? I remember I was in the first week of hospitalization, better known as rehab. I felt so out of sorts, I couldn't even think straight, couldn't sleep, like a zombie. Okay, tell me where to go. In the middle of the week, there were two girls who had been in rehab, and they were getting out. And before they left, they came up to me and they said, we just want to thank you for your faith. It helped us. Literally, I don't remember what I said or what I did, but something happened that showed them that I was a believer. So we never know. The story about my dad, who was hospitalized, gangrene in his leg, and we prayed for God to heal his leg, and God did heal his leg at that time. But he went through so many medical things. But you know what? All I heard from the people was, your dad has incredible faith. In fact, at Hogue Hospital, he was known as the miracle man. We don't realize that where we are, God is using us. So in Genesis 41, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God... So look what Pharaoh does. God has made all this known to you. There is no one that's discerning as wise as you. So Pharaoh doesn't really get it. He doesn't get like it's God doing it. But he sees something different in Joseph. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, Joseph Will I be greater than you? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Do you know what Joseph means in Hebrew exactly? Yosef? You know what that name means? God will increase. Because here's what Jesus said. If you humble yourself before God, you will be exalted. It's when we try to exalt ourselves is we're humbled. So what's the moral of the story? Those who wait on the Lord will be strengthened. If you try to do it on your own or do your own timing or try to, you know, help God out, there's nothing wrong with obviously wrestling with God. We talked about that prayer and these type of things, but we have to trust that God has a plan and it's often involves waiting. Isaiah 40:31. read it with me. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. And that word wait means to twist or to bind so it's to be bound up in Christ to the point where you just trust him that no matter what's going on, he has a plan. The plan was that God sent a famine in order to move Israel to Egypt. God sent the famine. He gave Pharaoh the dream about it. But it was all to move Israel to Egypt through Joseph. Joseph. Chapter 42, now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt and Jacob said to his sons, I love this, why are you staring at one another? So Jacob's like going, why are you just looking around? Go do something. He said, behold, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die because faith is active. Waiting doesn't involve just, you know, sitting around. It involves waiting and faith. And prayer and doing the next thing that God says to do. Sometimes God has to send a famine in order to move you. Right? Like the Canaan was supposed to be the land of milk and honey. Not anymore. I hear people say, you know, the Lord told me this. And it's like three years later. Why aren't you doing that? Well, things are getting bad. I go, yeah, because God told you to do this three years ago. He's trying to move you, trying to grow you. Through that experience I told you at the other church, I waited on the Lord, and all of a sudden, He sent us out to plant the gate. If that wouldn't have happened, I probably would have retired there. To be honest with you, that's what I thought. Besides Saddleback, where I worked, where we finally got, well, I, we were in the tent. And then we got the building, and then God sent us to Houston to a church without a building. And we met in a school. And then they raised money for the whole building. And before we moved into the building, God sends us to Shoreline Church up in Monterey with no building. And they go through a whole building campaign, and we give you know, money and time and everything. And God says, okay, now you go down back to Southern California. I'm like, do I ever get to enjoy the building? And finally, we get to the church before we planted the gate, and they had a building, and they had a grand piano. I'm like, I'm just going to retire here. And then all hell breaks loose. That wasn't where I was supposed to retire. I mean, who retires anyway? We keep serving the Lord. You might retire from one thing, but you just move on to the next thing. So that's when God planted the gate, but it was through ordeal, through like pain and pressure and famine. It's like when I came there, it was like the Holy Spirit. Wow, this is awesome. People were coming to get saved. In the middle of the churches, we coming down, kneel at the altar and get saved. We started a Friday night service where people from all over the community was packed. And we're leading worship and people are just getting saved and repenting. And it was awesome. And then 9-11 hits and people are like coming and knocking on the door, asking about Jesus. It was a move of God. And then the flesh took over. And all that stopped. There's nothing that will stop God from working in your life more than your flesh. I'm telling you, don't live in your flesh. Live in the Spirit. So at the end of the story, Joseph stores up seven years of grain because that's what was revealed in the dream. He stores it up in Egypt. Egypt is the only place in the whole region that has food now. Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold the food, so he made decisions who got the food. And so in chapter twenty-two, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, guess what they do? They bow down to him with their faces to the ground because God's dreams, when they're from him, always come true. And I think Joseph might have been a little encouraged that God confirmed that. He's probably going, maybe I was nuts. Maybe I ate a bad pizza. No, it was the Lord. So Joseph disguises himself. This is a great story. Joseph disguises himself so they wouldn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And imagine how you would feel if the people that threw you in a pit to harm you are standing before you. And he has all power in Egypt to do whatever he wants. So Joseph decides to play a little game. He calls them spies. He says, you just came to take food and to find out where we're hiding food. So Joseph tells them to prove they're not spies. And in order for that to happen, they must get their youngest son, who's Benjamin, and bring him here. Now, all the while, the brothers are going, oh, man, we screwed up. Karma, man. I mean, <laughs> it's coming all back to bite us in the butt. And they don't even know Joseph is standing before them. And this is an incredible thing that happens. He turned away from them and wept. He loved them. Even after all they did to him. He gives orders to his servants. He says, hey, fill their bags with grain and return the money that they paid us. Give it back to them. Put it in their bags. Don't tell them. Wow, talk about turn the other cheek. So the brothers return to Jacob in Canaan. And they tell him what happened. And Simeon. One of the brothers was left behind as collateral. And Jacob, obviously, Israel, he's old. He balks at the idea, I'm not sending Benjamin. I lost Joseph. Now I'm going to lose Benjamin? Those are the only two sons I had with Rachel. But the famine gets worse. So Benjamin went. And in chapter 43, as he, Joseph, lifted his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, because the others were his half-brothers, this is his full brother, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. He blesses him in his authority. So Joseph hurries out for, he was deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he controlled himself. And he says, serve the meal. He's given him a meal in the palace. Joseph then instructed his servants To give their money back again. But here's the little game he plays. In Benjamin's sack, he put a silver cup. Don't steal. So the brothers leave. Joseph sends his guards to follow him. And they find Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers sink in fear. They're going to take the youngest son so they return to the palace and fall before Joseph again. And Joseph demands that Benjamin be kept as a servant. But you can go home. Just leave Benjamin. And the brothers beg. And you know who begs the most? Judah, the one that left him in the pit. He begs and he says, take me so that Benjamin could be set free. And this is when Joseph could not hold back any longer, Turn to Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself. He cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there's still five years to go. God sent me before to preserve for you a remnant, the nation in the earth, and to keep you alive for a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his household, and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your whole family. There I will provide for you. For there's still five more years to come of the famine and you and your household and all that you would be would be impoverished if you didn't come up. Behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have been seen and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother's, Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all of his brother's and wept on them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. Talk about reconciliation. Wow, that's incredible. Egypt now is safe. Uh, I mean, Egypt was a safe haven for Israel. Pharaoh dies. This is the end of the story. Pharaoh dies, and the next Pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph, and what does he do? He gets ticked That the Israelites are growing into this huge nation. So he enslaves them for 400 years, just like God said. So the predicament sets up the Exodus. Think about that. Have you ever been in a predicament? Get ready for an Exodus because God is about to move. Do you know that our church has been in many predicaments where we almost literally said, Are we finished? But the whole time we had a vision and we still have a vision because the great deliverance is just around the corner. The Exodus is here. So let's uh, pray. Thank you, Lord, for dreams and visions that come from you and are ordained by you. I wouldn't be standing here today if that were not the case. We would not be even a, a congregation if that were not the case. You have your hand on us, Lord. You have a plan for this community. And the gate OC, when that becomes reality, that's just the beginning. There's going to be a gate LA. There's going to be other ones. We have been given the vision, but this is way bigger than ourselves, way beyond us. In fact, without you, this ain't going to happen. But Lord, with you, all things can happen. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us to this point. And even through predicaments and imprisonment, we're here today to testify to your goodness and your grace and your worthiness of praise. And everybody said, amen.
0: Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be his voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com.